are very excited about having a panel. We're going to talk about parent loss. And this is big for you because you lost your dad, what, three years ago? Absolutely. We have leaders in the field today that have been doing this work for a long time. I am so glad that they're here with us and took the time out of their busy schedules. Thank you so much. We are going to be talking about something so near and dear to my heart. My father died three years ago. And, you know, it's it's really interesting not having a dad because I've never been on this earth without a father. So I think it's not only a father loss, but it's an identity loss. Mm -hmm. It's like, who are we without our parent? And we have got really phenomenal speakers today to talk more about this topic. Uh, moderating today is Megan Reardon Jarvis. She is going to moderate. She just released a phenomenal memoir called The End of the Hour. And it is riveting. So please go out there and get it. Uh, Megan, I will start by introducing everyone. Megan Reardon Jarvis is a clinical social worker, author, TEDx speaker, founder of MRJ Consulting, and host of the podcast, Grief is My Side Hustle. She will be joined today by Hope Edelman, who is a renowned author, speaker, and TV personality. Her bestsellers include Motherless Daughters, Motherless Mothers, and The After Grief. And Brennan Wood will be here today as well. She is the executive director at the Dougie Center, devoted to supporting grieving children and families. She actually grew up in the Dougie Center because she lost her parent at, I think, the age of 12, if I can remember, Brennan. And she does her work in honor of her mother's legacy. And then we have Allison Gilbert. Allison is the author of numerous books, including Past and Present, Keeping Memories of Loved Ones Alive. She is the founder of Pub Day, a literary, a literary consultancy to help writers best position their grief stories for publication. And she serves on the advisory board with us for the Tragedy Assistant Program for Survivors. So welcome, Allison. And then we'll have Claire Bidwell-Smith. And she is a grief therapist and author of Conscious Grieving and Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief, providing support through personal experiences and professional work. Joining her will be Barry Leonard Grant, who is a grief specialist and founder of the Memory Circle, leveraging writing as a healing modality, honoring her mother, Ellen. And then last, we have Ken Ross, our man on the panel, and Ken is the son of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and president of the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation. And he is also on the board of the Open to Hope Foundation. Thank you all for joining us. Yes, thank you. We appreciate you taking the time out. So let's get started. This is such an honor to be moderating with so many um, colleagues and leaders in the field. We have a packed panel, which is exciting. I know from doing this exact panel last year, just how quickly our time can go. So what I was hoping to do as I'm looking at all of these faces and knowing everyone's personal story that becomes the strength of the traumatic growth that allows us to lean into becoming leaders in the field, I would love to have each of us answer this one question. And the question being, what, what is the core nugget of what you personally carry into your work every day that drives you to continue to do it? So you may want to tell us a specific story about the parent that you lost or about something that you are innovating in your space today. 
So I'll I will I'll start just to give us a quick idea of of where my question is sort of leading us. But you know, my I lost my father when I was an adult and my mother when I was an adult. And I think that my expectation about losing a parent before it happened to me was that I would have adult resources that would allow me to connect to friends and family and to um, use all of my professional expertise as a trauma therapist in the world of grief and loss to circumnavigate and perhaps skip some of the profound pain that existed. And this won't be um, shocking to anyone, particularly those who had loss early, but what I uncovered was that the tra an unresolved trauma from my childhood really informed my present and adult loss. And so in my platform and the work and the book that I just published, End of the Hour, I specifically talk about my father's death being the kind, actually, that, that we say resolves on its own, the kind of grief that needs support but doesn't need treatment, and then I specifically talk about the traumatic loss of my mother and how much um, that became an illness for me. So in my work, my 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 um, soapbox that I stand on is trying to help people understand the difference between partnering with what um, Donna was just talking about, the two of those things. So just, um, Brennan, I'm watching you nod. Would you be able to answer giving a nugget of your personal experience and how that has brought you to where you are right now? Sure, I'd be happy to, although I'm, you know, going first as always, but thank you, Megan, for, for leading the way. But um, yes, yeah, so I, um, as was mentioned in the opening, my mother died three days after my 12th birthday. And as um, all of us, I think probably, I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but can say there's a before and after when something like that happens. And um, my father actually died when I was 36. And so I can certainly, um, even, even in my own experience, relate to what you're saying, Megan, where I, I thought maybe I could, I could jump over some things with him because I not only in the field, but also had the experience of my mom. Unfortunately, that's sometimes not the case, but um what I will say for me, the the thing that I carry forward, there's 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 two things. One is um, for me, going to a peer support modeled program after my mother's death changed everything. It was the single most helpful thing that I experienced in my life after my mother's death. Not being the only kid in the world that had gone through that experience and sitting in a room full of not only kids who said, me too, or yes, I get that, um, or in some of them being further along in their process and and kind of holding a lantern up to, to, to show the path, um, that was incredibly helpful. The adults in that group also that were the volunteers and the staff people, those adults um, changed everything for me because instead of trying to take my pain away, they they sat with me in it. They said they validated that experience and that was huge. And then the other thing that I will just share, I think the one of the huge lessons for me in my mother's life and my mother's death is that two things can be absolutely true at the same time. We can hold deep sadness 
and joy at the same time. And um, for me, uh, I think my life's work is a um, prayer to my mom. And that prayer is to show others that, yes, it is traumatic and awful and hard and all of those things. And you can find um, wisdom in it. You can find joy in it. You can find many things, many gifts that have come into my life, not only because my mother lived, but because my mother died. Um, so I'll end there. Mm, that's so beautiful. Thank you. You answered that perfectly. Ken, is it okay if I call on you next? Would you sure. be able to talk to us about your experience and how it feeds the work you do now? Well, uh, I paired uh, in different ways. My I was taking care of both my parents before they died. And I took care of my dad for only three weeks before he died. It was kind of unexpected. Mm. And there's definitely a huge difference between that and my mother, who I took care of for nine years. And so I kind of decided to deal with the grief before she died. So I was imagining she was already gone uh, and digesting my grief, if you will. Uh, but with my father, I didn't have time to do that because he was getting sicker and sicker and I didn't realize he was going to die. So the experience was radically different. And what I did after my dad died was to surround myself with things that reminded me of my father. So I started calling my father's friends and trying to kind of keep his memory alive by being part of things that reminded me of my father and hearing stories about my father. And that was a big relief for me. I mean, it was hard, but I really felt his spirit, the appreciation of his life. And, you know, I knew there's nothing I could do. We, you know, we heal in the present. We don't heal in the past. We can't do anything about the future, but we heal in the present. And so we're trying to process and let go of the past, let go of what may come in the future and just come into the present and face what you're going through. And so it was interesting to digest these two different griefs. But with my mother, I was, you know, sad she was gone, but she was not very happy in the last few years of her life. So I was actually kind of happy that she passed. I mean, maybe it sounds kind of perverse, but I was happy because that's what she wanted. She was ready. And so we all had to, you know, deal with this is what you want. So if, like, let's let my mother pass and be happy that she had a very full life and that she's free of pain. So there's kind of another side of grief that, you know, it's our grief, but what about what they want? Mm. So I was happy to let go of my mother when we did. And I love, I wrote down that we, that we heal in the present. I saw everybody nodding. So I'm just saying that out loud. I don't, I don't know why I have never thought of that phrase before, but it was so impactful just now to me and the nodding of saying out loud what so many people who do caretaking experience with some level of shame, which is it that there is absolutely relief when someone who is suffering and living a life that they would not want to be living is no longer living that life. So also thank you for saying that out loud because I think all of our work is about validating the experiences that end up in the shadows and not being um, not being said out loud as though we can't say the truth out loud. Um, Allison, right. do you want to... Oh, sorry, Ken, go ahead. No, no, I would say, well, you know, the, the way my mother described it is why do green leaves fall? You mm -hmm. know, yes, we're expected to have brown leaves fall, but why do green leaves fall? That doesn't make sense in our head. 
That's right. That's beautiful. Thank you, Ken. Allison, sorry. Will you go next for us? Yeah, no problem. Something that Brennan said really um, hit me, which is that so many people do find so much solace and support in community, in support groups, in talking. Um, but I founded Pub Day, my new literary consultancy, for those of us who learn about themselves, not through talking, but through writing. And that's been the case with me. Before my mother and father died, I was in my young 20s and early 30s, and they knew I was on this path to be a writer and a journalist. Of course, what they could never have anticipated is that their deaths pushed me into writing about grief and loss. And that has been really fulfilling in my life. In fact, the only reason why I knew to write about Elsie Robinson, the subject of my last book, Listen World, is because my mother died. I was going through her belongings, my brother and I, in our childhood home, and I found, stashed away in one of her books, a poem that had resonated with her. And it was attributed to someone named Elsie Robinson. And I had no idea who that was. And it set me on the path for writing this biography. And I felt so close to my mom in doing that. I wanted to discover why she liked this woman's writing. And that discovery, that investigation, interrogating Elsie Robinson's life brought me closer to my mother than I ever could have before. I've now spent more than half my life without her. And so I just wanted to honor that not everyone wants to talk. Some people want to write. And if that's you, I get it. And um, I see you. And I think it's all helpful and should be honored. Allison, I love that. And I think not everybody wants to talk. It would be like a great title of a grief book, right? Yeah. Because there are so many ways to do the verb of grieving. And I think we hear and coach so many. I'm thinking also, Brennan, of children who, you know, that intellectually, they don't have the capacity maybe to put the language around those things. But we ha we help grievers through dance, through art, through cooking, through, you know, any activity can be writing is such one and I hope I'm going to call on you next and Barry um, you guys have such connections to writing but writing is one that we know that the neuroscience behind that helps us actually re-establish some of the brain that's been traumatized um, so it's such a powerful tool but it's it but it's one of the many grief tools that we get to use and I think it's so important because we Again, as Donna was talking about sort of the pathology around grief and loss, I'm a trauma therapist who didn't want to do any therapy after um, my mother died. So I, I just love that this is the thread that we're that we're pulling on. Hope, could you talk a bit about this? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I was just looking up to, to verify chapter eight in the after grief is called People We Need to Talk and Write and Paint and Perform. Because it's really about... <laughs> externalizing your grief. And some people, particularly female or female identified individuals do want to reach out to others and talk and emote, but others um, want to express their grief through action or doing. But before I dive in, I just want to thank you, Megan, for doing the panel. And 
it's an honor to be in the presence of all of my esteemed colleagues here who I have all worked with in one capacity or another before. And a big thank you to Gloria and Heidi and Open to Hope for providing this forum to so many mourners year after year. Um, I was 17 when my mom died of breast cancer and I didn't know any other girls other than my sister who had also lost a mom. And I spent a good solid 10 years in isolation. Um, Brennan, I wish there had been a Dougie Center back in 1981 in suburban New York, but there wasn't even hospice back then for my mom as she was dying. And so I developed coping strategies to manage in a world without my mother and in a family and an environment that wouldn't talk about her death or her life very much. But when I decided to write Motherless Daughters, which was the book I needed, couldn't find, I um, started interviewing other women and that was such a game changer for me. And that's when I discovered the power of community. And you can write in community, you can um, perform in community, you can talk in community. There are many things you can do in community, but that's where my work has shifted now to community building for women who've lost mothers at any age. Um, historically, I've worked with women who were children, teenagers, young adults when their moms died. Um, that's what the book Motherless Daughters is. That's the audience that it's geared for. Um, and I offer weekly support calls and four-day retreats. Claire and I started Motherless Daughters Retreats in 2016. And it became clear right, very quickly that 80% of the work we were doing was just finding the site and bringing women together because the magic occurred when they sat together, talked together, spent free time together, just felt like I'm not the only one. And you could see they'd been holding themselves hard against the world, thinking nobody understands me, I'm all alone. And then they sit in a circle with 23 or 24 other women who really do understand what they've experienced. And you could just watch that hardness melt off their faces. It was so beautiful, like a sacred experience. And now, um, starting in February, motherlessdaughters.com is launching its first um, weekly support for women who've lost moms within the past two years and um, to attend to their bereavement needs. And that's because like what Donna was saying earlier, this prolonged grief um, designation where if you're grieving beyond to a certain extent beyond one year, you may be in need of professional help. Well, I'm working with a lot of women now whose moms died a year and a half, two years ago. They spent the whole first year taking care of an estate or managing the, the admin or what I've heard called the deadman work after someone dies. And so they are just getting to the grief now, a year and a half later. So we want to create a forum for them. So for me, um, it's all about bringing women together and community building and helping them find solace in that, in the social aspect of grief. I think of grief as having five elements, cognitive, emotional, physical, spiritual, social. And I see my work in the social realm. God, it's such a good reminder that the everyone is talking a bit about sort of how did we connect to our grief and then also connect our grief to other people. And I'm just thinking, Hope, of how important it is to hear you talking about doing more of that connecting, particularly on the heels of coming out of, if the, if I can say that, the COVID epidemic, that 
so much of what we did in necessity was to make our footprints smaller. And we know from all the people who, you know, the million people who died and then the 9 million people, the Americans that were left grieving those folks, um, just how complicated and difficult it was not to have regular connection and rituals and that we did our best to pull together um, what we could to honor those things. But there is a reason why we want to be able to share energetically together um, and hold our grief together because it does actually stitch us together as a, as a unique, but also completely generalizable human experience. So Barry, can you tell us a little bit about your experience and your work um, that has come out of that? Sure. Um, I lost my mom, Ellen, in 1993. And as Hope said, there were precious few resources until 1994 when Hope's book came around, Motherless Daughters. And I knew cognitively that I was not alone in the world, but boy, if you don't feel like you are the only person who had lost a mother, I didn't know anybody. Um, and because I looked like I had it together, nobody really offered me any resources. And so while there probably were some in the world, it wasn't until I read it in other books that I realized I wasn't alone. And that really opened a door for me in having discussions with peers. I felt as if I had some kind of magnet for a heart that I kept meeting the motherless daughter in the room everywhere I went. And I think it was from that feeling of being alone that I um, sort of combined my degree as a journalist. And I was at the Chicago Tribune at the time and felt like, we need better, we need to do better and found my way to some trainings and to create the memory circle, which really my whole mission there was just to create a space where there wasn't one before, where we could sit shoulder to shoulder with others and bear witness, you know? And it was in that work where I combined writing and talking and crafting and whatever it was, even changing the space where we gathered, from cozy chairs to yoga studios to um, virtual events where we could just, again, just be seen and heard and witnessed and where those who weren't wholly comfortable with writing could hear other people's writings, could hear a recommendation of a great memoir, a great book where you could see yourself between the pages, between the words and craft um, what I like to say is a wisdom exchange, right? Just being in a group, we hear something that somebody else says that so resonates where we think, oh my gosh, I've thought that forever, but I've never been able to put words to it. You read something in a book and again, you feel so much less alone because you see the very way that you felt in those words. So I host a lot of writing groups. And um, again, I see this beautiful and profound wisdom exchange happen um, when we gather um, to tend to our grief in a way that feels on purpose and with meaning and with others where they just get it. And mm. doesn't everybody want to feel less alone in that way? Barry, you remind us that even though we all have, you know, the little Zoom blocks around us and have been identified as grief experts, that everybody becomes an expert in their own grief. And that phrase wisdom exchange, I'm watching people re react to that in the um, chat that, that that actually is what we are doing when we're expressing, right? When we come to understand our own experience with grief, and then we put some words and language around that, 
we offer that as wisdom to someone else to plug into and expand on and to use. So anybody, anybody who's watching this and loves, you know, Ken's language that he's given us today and Barry's language that she's given us today, part of the beauty of doing panels like this and sharing the experiences is that you then get to go take those words out and offer them to someone else who needs them. Um, and I just think that that is a, a, one of the real gifts of being able to say, that I talk about my grief and I express my grief. Not everybody is going to make it into their work or their work life, but that's not how we define the traumatic growth, right? We define the, the traumatic growth by having it be that we are not only traumatized, that it is not just a bad thing, but something comes of our loss that that allows us to become more. And maybe it's more compassionate and empathetic to another human. Yeah, that, we become beacons, right? We do this work, we gather in groups, and then we hear something that somebody else says, and we sort of become beacons for the next person. So 30 years later, still learning, but again, still saying those things so that there is somebody, even on the checkout line in the grocery, I'll hear somebody checking out the soup and she said, oh, my mom loved that. And you learn to tune into like that past tense and is she with us? And we just, that, that comfort in being able to have those conversations everywhere we go. Mm. So great. Claire, can you, will you chime in for us and tell us a bit about your story? Yeah, of course. It's such an honor to be here with all of you. These are some of my just favorite colleagues. Um, and I've worked with all of you so much and so many beautiful capacities. Um, my parents both got cancer at the same time when I was 14 and I'm an only child. My mom died when I was 18, when I was a freshman in college and my father died seven years later. Um, when I was 25 and, you know, I think losing a parent, especially young, but at any age is just really unmooring. You know, I think it, I think it really impacts our sense of identity, our sense of safety, our nurturing in the world. You know, there's so many layers of it. And I think often people are surprised by how huge it feels and how much it really just affects their grounding. And so for me, when my mother died in particular, my predominant response was a lot of anxiety, just a lot of fear, just feeling really uncertain in the world, feeling really um, unsure of, of everything. I think that losing a parent really challenges our beliefs and assumptions about the world. And again, kind of our sense of safety and identity. Um, I was always a writer and hadn't really imagined doing this. Uh, nobody, I don't think, grows up wanting to be a grief therapist. We do come to this from our own experience. And um, as, as so many of you have said, just um, our own ways of trying to offer healing to others who are going through this. And so I've always written so much about my experiences. And I went into this work um, thinking I knew a lot about grief. I worked in hospice after my father died. And uh, and then into private practice and and very quickly realized that I knew only my grief. And um, while there are so many universal aspects of grief, it is so individual as well. And every relationship we have with people, the ways they die, the times they die, um, there's, there's so many layers to it. And so like Barry just said, I'm always learning. Um, but one of the things that I've always spoken a lot about is anxiety and grief and the connection there. And I write a lot about that in um, a recent book called Anxiety, the Missing Stage of Grief. And then I have a workbook that recently came out called Anxious Grief. And, you know, I've heard from so many people that it's just been helpful to have that 
that aspect of grief normalized for them. Um, my mother died in 1997. And aside from Hope's book, there really wasn't a lot out there um, that addressed my particular grief. And, and again, I felt really alone in it. And I felt so, um, I just doubted myself a lot. And I, I see that today, even though there are so many amazing resources and books and groups and support out there, people really doubt themselves in grief. And so as all of you have said, to come together, to connect, to be in community, to tend to our grief, to just kind of feel um, part of something and part of each other, I think is really so healing. It's beautiful. Thank you. I've learned that it helped me to help others, to know I'm not the only one, put one foot in front of the other, find a life. Adding hope to the darkness, you start on the trip to recovery. Reach deep down inside and say, I am going to live on. We laugh, we cry, and remember. Hope without action doesn't work. Hope with action can change the world. We always say, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours.